0: Welcome to the Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron Founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. This is Brett Amron, and I'm Jeff Bast, and this is the Practice Podcast. Today we wanted to talk about Brett and I have been talking about the recruiting and, and new lawyers joining law firms and we came up with uh, 10 tips for young lawyers and I guess it's not really limited to young lawyers but any lawyer that's either joining a new practice or starting out and starting their own firm whatever it is 10 tips so
1: in no particular order it's funny I before we get started I looked at the list and as I indicated to you I said you know this is applicable to more senior lawyers too. Well, some of them, not all, but some of them, right? As we go along. Maybe Um, we should call it 10 tips for lawyers. For lawyers, yeah. (laughs) So the first one is basically shut up and listen. And it's not really so much don't talk. I mean, it's listen. listen. And as I, you know, my kids will, you know, roll their eyes as I always say it. And that is God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. (laughs) And that is, you should listen a lot more than you speak, especially when you're young, because you're learning. And that's the best way to learn is to just soak it all in. Does that mean that you can't come up with good ideas and when time is appropriate to offer those ideas or, you know, whatnot? But the answer is no. I mean, you can do that, but you've got to listen. And I still employ that. You know, I, I listen way more than I talk because, number one, I don't want people to, you know, know how. Well, it makes you seem smarter. But in mm-hmm. any event, listen, you learn. You learn from people. I and mean, then I know, you know, generally society as a whole, right? We'd all do better if we just listened more uh, okay. to each other. So Agreed, agreed. Especially, I think, as a young lawyer listening,
0: you get to hear, obviously, you learn more by listening. But you learn more by listening to your peers, by your superiors. But also, and I think this is lost on a lot of lawyers, your clients. You know, a lot of clients don't feel heard Mm -hmm. and being heard is so important, and you learn so much about the case, about your case, about maybe facts, about something you weren't aware of previously, or the motivation, or what's driving things. You know, sometimes just listening can be the key to growth. The second tip, get there early and leave late, and this is kind of a silly one, but I do think it's important, especially for young lawyers who are starting out as a practice. When you're the last one in the office, not that really, I think as In law firms, we give lawyers a lot of flexibility. They're professionals. They're expected to manage their own schedule, but the person who's the last one there every day just kind of creates a sort of a negative association. Maybe that person doesn't work as hard, and I always thought it was important as a young lawyer. I adopted this when I was a young lawyer at a big firm. You know, I wanted to be there before the partner I worked for, and I wanted to leave after. It was kind of difficult because I worked with a guy who was a late-night guy, so I wasn't always able to do that, but establishing a reputation of being a hard worker is really important.
1: Yeah, and I think given the current times and the pandemic and now all the talk about hybrid work and remote working and flexibility, and we're not saying that that stuff doesn't apply, right? It's it's being a hard worker and putting in the time necessary to get the job done. And when you're a younger lawyer, it's going to just take you longer. right? And you have to be willing to put in the time And you, as a young lawyer, I know I, and I know you did the same thing. You wanna show the people that you're working for and your clients as well, that you're dedicated and you're dedicated to your craft. And so, you know, we always pitch it is we're we're lawyers. This is a career of ours, right? And so as a young lawyer, especially, but throughout your career, you're building a career. You're not just pushing paper and working nine to five or, you know, bankers hours or whatever it is. And so, if there's a time when you have to put in more time, great. And as you said, Jeff, you alluded to, we're professionals. So, if that means you're in trial and you're working, and I kid when I say 24-7, but it could be for a whole week or two weeks or whatever the trial is, then the next couple of weeks after that are going to probably be a little lighter for you, right. right? And so, you get the benefit of that. So, just keep in mind that there is that balance that maybe it's not going to be a particular day or a particular week. Right. But overall is the balance. You have to look at it in a big picture.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. We don't punch a clock as lawyers. You and I are never walking the halls looking at our clock going, hmm, it's nine o'clock and so-and-so's not here. No. But if at nine or 10 o'clock consistently the same person's not there, then it starts to become something more than just somebody's not balancing their schedule. So...
1: Yeah. And again, it's not like you said. It's not what time is it, you know, we're looking right. for people. It's... Obviously, we want to know they're getting their work done and they're dedicated, again, right. to the craft and that they're honing their skills because, again, as a young lawyer, you're doing double time, right? You're getting the work done but also working on your own skills and and things like that. So it's going to just take more time and you just have to be dedicated to it and try and find, and everyone always talks about work-life balance, and I don't like that. I think it's harmony because it, there's never really a true balance. Like You just find the way that, your life and your work can sort of harmonize together again, moving and ebbing depending upon what needs more attention at various times. So uh, I think we beat that uh, with the dead. We <laughs> got did. here early and we left late. <laughs> yeah. So we, so we beat that up. And the third one is say yes as often as possible. You know, that is just simply being willing, right. And open to, assignments to working on new cases to, you know, you may say, oh my God, I have so much work, but man, that's interesting. And let me figure out a way to get that done and open lines of communication. I know we have that down a little further, but I think keeping the communication open with a, yeah. a more senior partner or a client, you know, may be helpful in that regard. Yeah. I view saying yes
0: as really as being a team player, because I view saying yes as when somebody says, hey, I need help can you help me out with something? Just saying yes, agreeing to help. Or a new case comes in, you know, you get a new case and you say, hey, who wants to work on this case with me? You know, you never want to be that person who's just saying, no, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy all the time.
1: Yeah, and the team player part is a great point because there's going to be a time when you you need need some assistance. And so we, and I know we foster that here, we're really a team in total. And while you know, only two or sometimes three lawyers work on a case or maybe just one at a particular time, particular client matter at a time, that's not to say that there may not be a need to pull in some people for assistance at various points. And you want to be known as that person who it was there, who was willing to help. Because if you're part of a team, right, and that team rises, then you're going to rise with it. And I think sometimes young lawyers kind of lose sight of that. Agreed. Fourth one is when you get an assignment, repeat back what you
0: heard. And this to me is such a simple one. But how many times in my career have I seen or been on the receiving end of an assignment that's a little confusing or maybe there's just a slight one fact that's not clear and the associate who doesn't repeat it back gets an assignment, walks out and starts down a path that is just slightly off mark. And then they do a bunch of work that's just completely irrelevant or not as useful. And so the idea of repeating back what you heard or what the assignment is, is such a simple concept, but it just confirms that you understood what was said. You know, there's two parts of communication. One is the message that's sent, and the other is the message that's received. But by repeating it back, you're confirming that what you received is the same message that was intended to be sent. And I think it's just a great,
1: easy way to, to avoid uh, missteps. So I just want to confirm it's when receiving an assignment, (laughs) repeat it back and confirm the deadline. Yeah, I mean, that seems so basic, but I know as a young lawyer, and I I felt this way too, I don't know about you, but when you're sitting in a room with a partner who's been doing this for so long, you want them to think, oh, I know know what he's talking about or she's talking about, and you just take down and you walk out, and Mm -hmm. I understand that, but you need to make sure that you understand the issue so that you can perform the work and, and do it right and not waste time. And so if you don't want to ask the question at that moment, you want to take it in and absorb it, that's fine. But go back to your office and think about it. Or if you're not in your office, you're in your home, whatever it is, right. You know, think about it and then get right back to the partner and put in an email. Right. And say, hey, just want to confirm this is what I took from our conversation and this is what I'm going to do right. and how I'm going to approach this just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Right. And nobody should get upset by you doing that. They should actually think, wow, that's great. Yeah. In fact, I think we do it, you know, we're talking
0: about in the context of an assignment, but it really shouldn't be limited to that. We do it sometimes with a meeting with a client or, sure. or even a conversation with opposing counsel. Right. You send a confirming email just to make sure
1: that everyone's on the same page. It's a variation of that. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. Just don't, Again, don't be afraid to sort of go back and confirm all that stuff. I think think that's important. I think it segues well to the next one. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask questions. It really comes from the same thing, which is obviously at the right time and timing is everything. You know, you don't want to pop a question when you're sitting with a client. The client thinks, like, wait, I'm hiring these guys because they have an expertise in this area. And this lawyer is asking that question maybe they don't know what they're doing. So if you're a young lawyer sitting in a meeting with a partner, and so there's a time when a question should be popped, but don't be afraid to ask the questions to your colleagues within the firm, to the partner that maybe you're working with on a particular matter, you know, because that's how you learn. And that, that's okay. It's when you sit and stew and either, and going back to number four, don't confirm what you're supposed to be doing and then don't ask questions is when bad stuff starts to happen. Exactly. And I think the same thing,
0: you know, that asking
1: questions is the way
0: it's kind of the way we're thorough. We need to ask the questions and we do this in our practice a lot. You not only need to ask the questions that you would have, you need to anticipate the questions that somebody else might have. Like for example, with a, a young lawyer is preparing a memo for a partner and it has some analysis. What's that partner going to ask in that analysis? And if you don't know the answers to that question, well, then your memo is incomplete because you don't understand it. And so same thing with the facts. If a client gives you a story and you're not really sure on you know, the order of things or you didn't understand something and you don't ask the question, well, then nobody is well-served. So asking questions goes such a long way.
1: Yeah, I mean, we ask questions for a living in part, yeah. right? We're litigators. Yeah, yeah. So you know if you're going to ask the questions... In a particular client matter, don't be afraid to do that behind the scenes too as well. Exactly.
0: The number six, rule six is use what you learned in law school. And, and by that, we mean sort of the fundamentals of legal writing, outlines, and IRAC. I don't know everyone. I think there's a lot of different variations of IRAC, but it's basically a writing procedure of it using issue, rule, application, conclusion, in your writing. every Almost every paragraph should have that. But also just the idea of outlining something. I'm a big, and I know you are as well, structural person. So I want the structure and the format of a big brief or a, even a complaint or any kind of long legal writing to have a real clear structure and organization. And just starting with an outline is so useful. And organizing your thoughts rather than just spitting stuff
1: out on paper and then having to try to reorganize it, really critical. Yeah, I agree. I mean, normally I would say that we don't learn all that much in law school. (laughs) But I do think that this kind of thing, and obviously critical thinking is super important as well from law school. But in terms of outlines in Iraq, you know, different people have different methodologies, but breaking it down, sometimes a large, when you're responding to a brief or a motion or you're crafting one, you're on the, the motion side, uh, not on a response side or on the initial brief side. You know, it can be pretty daunting, right? There's so many issues, there's so much to cover. Like you said, an outline is great place to start and then filling it in from there is super helpful. But keeping in mind that the fact that you have to break it down, what is the issue that I'm talking about, you know? And what's the analysis and then what's the conclusion? And going through that can help keep it more simplified And the one thing I would say in terms of that is you don't need to use big words (laughs) to sound smart. You know, we get these papers all the time and there's all these huge words that are used and, you know, they use 20 words and they can say what they want to say in five words. And, you know, I will tell you that I don't like that. And I know that clients don't want to see that if it's unnecessary. And I know judges don't either. No, no. I think
0: it's our job to simplify concepts. You know, and I think that's the hardest thing about, um, you know, being a lawyer is taking complex, especially, you know, in trials or, um, you know, in arguments is taking complex concepts and simplifying them, making things easy. I mean, right. we talk about that all the time. It's our job to make things easy for our clients, for the judge, for, for her, even for opposing counsel. You have to help opposing counsel understand why yeah. they have risk in their case and why you're right. And so that's our job to simplify.
1: And if you can't explain it, well then, to a uh, opposing counsel, to a judge, to a client, to a fellow team member, then maybe <laughs> you don't either. You don't understand it, or the issue is just not fully formed. Fully formed. So I think the next one is uh, communicate often. And We're big proponents of this internally as we run the firm, but it's also works well with the practice, and that is communicate, communicate, communicate with. Posing counsel with co-counsel with clients, with, they should always be communication. And sometimes, and dare I say, sometimes you actually have to should pick up the phone. Yeah, it's not just sending an email off. Yeah, sometimes it's good to just pick up the phone because emails are a little cold. Reading things in black and white, and if. You know, you just send off an email, it may not get you the result you want or may not convey the message that you're trying to convey. So just communicate with people and keep them informed and don't be afraid to do so because that's the way that you build trust, even with opposing counsel. You want to build trust across the board with the judge, with the client, with everybody is just keeping everybody informed, communicating with them. Agreed,
0: agreed. I mean, it's one of our communication is one of our, uh, we communicate is one of our core values. It's everything you just said. And sometimes it's just letting someone know, you know, for example, if you're going to be late with an assignment, if you let, if I ask one of our attorneys to prepare a memo or a motion for me by a certain date, and I don't get it by that date, and it's three days later, and I haven't heard from them. Now I'm uh, maybe a little freaked out <laughs> and upset. But if they just send me a note or knock in my office and say, "Hey, Jeff, you know the motion you asked for me today? I'm I'm running a little late. I'm behind. Can I get it to you tomorrow?" It's really just usually not an issue, not an issue if you communicate. And same thing with clients. Like we have a rule here. We never want a client to learn about something that we did by reading about it on their bill. We always want our clients to know what's happening. It's better for us and it's better for them. In fact, I think uh, our colleague Brian Tannebaum, the esteemed ethics lawyer, will tell you that the number one reason for um, client complaints to the bar is failure of communication. So just keeping people informed. It's a better practice in almost everything, in almost every aspect
1: of life, but certainly in the practice of law, letting people know what's going on. And if that is not number one, Brian will certainly communicate with you about that. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: number eight is keep contact with your law school classmates. I mean, this is an easy one and it's lost on a lot of people, but it's a super important rule of thumb for building your network cuz that is the natural starting place for building a network is all those people you were that you went to law school with they're all going to go out and practice law in some form or fashion some of them are are not going to practice law some of them are going to start a company but that company might need a lawyer and as you graduate up the ranks of the practice so will they in their practices and those may be your referral sources but they're also great you know resources and references when you need them, you know, you may become a bankruptcy lawyer and somebody else will become an intellectual property lawyer. And so when you need one, you know that person, but staying in contact now is so important.
1: Yeah, and it goes even beyond, and I agree with you 100% on the building the network and the relationships for business development. It goes beyond that. I mean, you're gonna see these people in different situations with client matters. You're gonna see them in court. And wouldn't it be nice to have somebody on the other side that you're familiar with? Not because you're going to give them or they're going to give you what you're asking for, but that level of credibility and trust is super important when you have somebody on the other side. Because lawyers should be focusing on the substantive issues that their clients are fighting over or are dealing with, as opposed to having to worry about, well, is my opposing counsel going to do this, that, you know, something that I don't have any idea about that's outside of the context of this case that, you know, I have to worry about and think about. And so it's just nice to have that as well, in addition to the business development side, for sure. So number nine, over-prepare. us a big one for me. Yeah. Because, you know, I can't tell you how many times you walk in a court and either you're observing uh, this is obviously back in the day before the pandemic when you'd actually walk into court and, and watch. Uh, now I guess you can do it on Zoom. But if you watch people before you or you have an opposing counsel who you know walked in and doesn't really know the file, doesn't know the entirety of the case, is just focused on, well, I'm here on a motion to compel. And so I'm just focused on the motion to compel. And then the judge asks a question, well, tell me in the context of this case and that particular issue, why do you need those documents? And the lawyer starts flipping through their file or they don't know. You need to over-prepare. You need to walk in the door, no matter if you're in a hearing, no matter if you're in a mediation, in a deposition, understanding and knowing the entirety of the case as well as how what you're there for fits into the puzzle of that case. Right. Because if you don't, you know, you're just, thinking of things out of context, right uh, completely, and you're thinking of it in, in a vacuum. Right. Now am I saying suggesting on a, on a motion to a continue or a motion for an extension? Not really, but, but you know what? There may be, yeah. issues that pop up. You know, I'll tell you a, a brief story. When I was a young lawyer, I was sent to court to handle a continuance of a trial. I walked in and the other side was agreeing. Hmm. No problem. I came back to the office two hours later, (laughs) two hours later. And the the partner on the file said to me, where have you been? And I was like, "Uh, I've been in court. (laughs) And he asked me, like, I don't understand. It was an agreed motion to continue trial. And I said, yeah, uh, but the judge wanted to talk about the trial. And what we saw, both sides saw as the issues to be tried and what was going to happen and all that on a motion to continue trial. And so the saving grace for me was that, number one, I had been involved, and so I knew enough, but I certainly was not overprepared. But opposing counsel had just come into the case. Hmm. And so he knew less than I did. And so I didn't look that bad. Um, But that's a prime example that you don't know. And so you better be prepared no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, sort of a saying in, in bankruptcy practice that, every hearing
0: is a status conference because it's the same thing. You're going in, it could be a routine motion to continue or extend time, mm-hmm. but a bankruptcy judge is likely to ask, well, what's happening in the case? Can you give me an update? And so be prepared for a status conference and be prepared for an you know, update on something beyond what's just before the judge. And this is not, you know, we're talking about, we're emphasizing court hearings, but it's really not just yeah. court hearings. It's a meeting with a client. Everything. It's a mediation. Yeah. Even an internal meeting. If you wrote a legal memo, and you're going to have a meeting with the partner about it, you should be familiar with what's in that memo. You should read it again. Maybe you need to read the cases again because when that partner starts asking you questions about the memo mm-hmm. and you go, uh, I don't know, I, you know, then the partner not only questions you, but
1: the strength of the memo. So you're never going to have a problem if you're overprepared. Right. Yeah, and you said it in terms of knowing the memo and the issue of the memo. I would go beyond that. No why, you know, the context of the whole matter. No important dates and, you know, all of that stuff when you're sitting in an internal meeting with either internally just with fellow colleagues or if you're sitting with a client or what, you need to know everything. Remember, the clients, the partners, and even judges, opposing guys, whatever, are looking to you as somebody who is credible, who knows what they're doing, like this is not, you know, I'm working behind the counter at a yogurt store. This is this is a career. This is a, you're a lawyer now. Hey, I used to work behind the counter. So at did I. I at two different <laughs> stores. I absolutely. Uh, I'm not downplaying it, but there's a different expectation when the customer right. walks in and interacts right. with somebody, right, as opposed right. to a lawyer. Like right. the idea is you're an expert. You have expertise. Yeah. I'm paying you. No, I, I expect you to know. Yeah, for sure.
0: Over-preparing is key. And the last one we have is work hard, play hard, and and this is something that you know we hear all the time, and I think it's kind of uh, people you know think it's overdone, but I, I subscribe to it, and I think the point is when you're in the office, work. When you're working, work. Do what is necessary to to get the job done. Oftentimes that's working late nights. Oftentimes it's working weekends, but work hard, and then take time off. You deserve it. You need the time. Take a vacation. No one is ever gonna. Go into your office and say, Hey, you know, Brett, you know, you haven't taken a vacation in a while. You should really go take a vacation. So take the time off that you need and play hard and try to separate the two if you can. Oftentimes you can't. Sometimes you got to do a little work when you're on vacation. But if you put in the hours and you prepare and you work hard, then more often than not, you will be able to take some time and play
1: hard. Yeah. And that to me goes back to number two, which is get there early and leave late. The conversation we had about that too, which is, you know, work hard. Um, And and this is hard work. This is not, you know, for the faint of heart, especially given the practice areas that we're involved in. But when you leave here and and if you, obviously, if you have to go and, and do more work at night or on the weekends, or again, depending on what's dictated or you're taking a vacation, play hard too. I mean, that's okay. You know, work out your schedule so that you can do that because it's super important for your mental health, for your physical health, and you're just going to be you're going to be a better person. You're going to be a better lawyer as well, right. um, and I think that's super important. Yeah, having a hobby, whether it's running
0: or you know swimming or playing music or learning another language, you know, having something that takes your mind off of your work for a little bit is really important. And, and you talked about you're know, working late. I used to have when I was a young associate, I had a a thing on Friday night, I would work late because I was part of a party crew and we didn't go out till very late at night on Friday nights and till, you know, we would go out at midnight. So Mm -hmm. I would be in the office till eight, nine, 10 o'clock on Friday night. No one was there, but I worked really late on Friday so that I didn't have to work on the weekend and that freed me up. And then Mm -hmm. I also tend to do a lot of work on Sunday night to help me prepare for Monday. But a lot of it's just planning for the next day, you know, so the next day is not hellacious. So...
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So you want to run down the list again, Mr. Bast? uh, Real quick, the top 10 list again in no particular order. One,
0: shut up and listen. Two, get there early and leave late. Three, say yes as often as possible. Four, when getting an assignment, repeat back what you heard. Five, don't be afraid to ask questions. Six, use what you learned in law school. Seven, communicate often. Eight, keep contact with your law school classmates and colleagues. Nine, over prepare. And 10, work hard, play hard. If you follow these top 10 rules, you will find success.
1: <laughs> Sounds like the military. <laughs> Great work, Mr. Bast. And thank you, Mr. Amron, Mr. Rosada. Shout out to Mr. Rosada. Thanks, thank you sir. from the
0: Practice Podcast. For more information on this show and other resources, visit fastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Best Amron